All right, that's probably good. Uh, hello. Hi. Um, We're back. The, it, yeah. The finale. Uh, well, probably. Hopefully. Probably. Yes, it will be. It has to be. I don't have goldfish this time, but I do have an empty bowl of wheat thins next to me. So. Then it's not a bowl of wheat thins, ain't it? Well, it's, it's just a bowl now, I guess. Yeah. But it, there were wheat. I'm sad I don't have goldfish though. Um. Anyways, yeah, we're back. Uh, we kind of didn't record last week, but it's kind of okay because we're ahead. within this week, anyways. Yeah, so. we're ahead by a week, actually. Wow. We should probably get it more than that, but. Well, yeah, no, no. But I'm saying like, well, we'll be ahead by. It's Monday now. <laughs> the episode we did yeah. last week is going up next Monday. Okay. So, so we'll be we're ahead by like three weeks, actually. I don't know. It depends how you measure it. Yeah, it's a thing. It doesn't uh, matter. Anyways, you don't care. I don't, honestly. You, well, that's not what I meant, but okay. <laughs> well, you know. You know what I mean. I meant the, um, the, the people who are listening. People listen to this? No. Yeah, I didn't think so. Um, so today we're fucking finishing Site 13. Again, yeah, probably. Uh, we're getting to the big, the big moment. Yeah. So this is we're starting off with addendum nine, then we'll go to addendum ten. Yeah, addendum nine seems to be the big event. It's where okay. So just as a, we're gonna summarize, remember? Okay. So oh, yeah. the initial things w the uh, going in. This place is not stable. Uh, space wise, things move around. They went in. There's some leeches that are really big that go inside of your body. And, like, um, pull out another one of them. I guess yeah, they breed inside of you. They breed inside of you, and I think they control your body sometimes, maybe? Yes, they can. Um, there's things that are writing things on the wall that will kill you if you look at them. Um, there was a thresher machine. A thrasher? Thresher? Something like that. Mm -hmm. um, which was what sent this thing from the other reality into this one. Uh, mm -hmm. With the there's guy. One, yeah, that one big bad doctor who kind of fucked the who did everything, because this was SCP and Global Co Coalition working together to burn everything, basically, after they were done with it, um, in one big pit and didn't see an issue with that. This one, there was this one thing that was doing, like, hand gestures that were magical and stuff, uh, that had, like, 30 arms or whatever. Yeah. That had the guy strapped to his forehead, alive but burning constantly. <laughs> and then they found, uh, yeah, there was, like, that one guy that was still in there that was having to broadcast until he died, so they sent in, uh, an extraction team to get some people out. That was the last thing we read, I think, with Addendum 8. Um, and so that leads us... The Addendum 8 ended with them finding a couple people from the other teams, so yeah. uh, Addendum 9, we're assuming, is them trying to get the fuck out. Yeah, it says Extraction Log Transcript. So yeah, you're so gonna do the intro. I'm gonna do, um... Apollo 3 and Zeta 9. Mm -hmm. I'll be reading... I don't, uh, I don't know how to distinguish between them. I don't know if it matters too much. Yeah, I'll be reading uh, Tau 5, uh, as well as the intro and any, like, just description stuff that's going on that, that isn't as specific for it. Um, so, Addendum 9, Extraction Log Transcripts. This is the video log transcript. The date is, as usual, uh, blacked out. Recovery Team, Mobile Task Force, Tau 5, Samsara. Exploration teams, Mobile Task Force Apollo 3, Dame Wardens, and Z9 Mole Rats. Uh, subject is 1730. Team lead is T5 Arantu, Z9 Hollis, AP3 Ross. The members are T5 Monroe, T5 Onru, T5 Nanku, AP3 Houston, AP3 Vigo, AP3 Ohalo, Z9 Morris, Z9 Willow. Uh, notes, the following is an audio slash video transcript of an extraction and recovery mission carried out by members of Mobile Task Force Tau 5 Samsara after having made contact with surviving members of MTF Apollo 3 and MTF Zeta 9. Aside from members of the Mobile Task Forces, the team was tasked with recovering 27 surviving members of Site 13 staff, including Dr. Muhammad Scott, a Site, team, a Site 13 Assistant Director of Temporal Studies. Uh, yeah, some Temporal Studies. Several of these individuals have sustained significant injuries, further increasing the difficulty of extraction efforts. Members of Mobile Task Force Alpha-20 Holy Divers were stationed above ground or prepared to move in to aid in extraction efforts once the recovery team had escaped the lower levels of the site. You'll, you'll do those if they show up. Yes. So, begin log. Uh, I don't think we have to read the individual names because that'll just be a confusing and long. Yeah, so, no. Mike's on. Uh, well, just... Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Are we really worried about recording all of this? Hey, Vigo, shut the fuck up. Do what he says. Your lead, Power Ranger. Thank you. Onru has prepared an evacuation plan. I'll let her explain it. Our travel paths from this position are compromised by the entity in the data center and the creature in the atrium. 
As he's speaking with Dr. Scott and his team, we've devised a route that leaves us as far away from the current major threats as possible. Unfortunately, our information on all threats is incomplete. Even Dr. Scott was not privy to information on all contained entities within the site. As such, we shall proceed with extreme caution. This is likely already well understood. Yeah, just a bit. Alright, so what's the route we're taking? Onru pro produces a topographical map. Our entry routes are here and here. The largest obstacles we are currently experiencing we're experiencing currently are the spatial instabilities within the lower levels of the site. On the suggestion of Dr. Scott and Captain Hollis, our route will first travel to the section of the facility where the Thresher device is contained. The de this device is the cause of the instabilities, and while it is not possible to completely disable the device without risking our own lives or the lives of above-ground personnel, we should be able to reduce power to the device long enough for us to create a stable path to the service following this route here. I got lost once shortly after our insertion and ended up in that room. I was attacked by a number of creatures that were difficult to perceive, likely due to some latent anti-memetic effects. I was able to escape them, but they're no doubt still there. That machine draws a frankly impossible amount of energy from some energy source somewhere else in the site, and those creatures I saw feed off of it. So, there's that. Why don't we seem ahead to send a... Why don't we send a team ahead to disable the machine, and then meet up with them before heading up? We will not have enough time, and the probability of our success drops dramatically if we split up our team. Once the device is powered down, it is likely that we will have less than an hour to make our escape before it trips its fail-safes and powers back up again. We just have to make our push from there, hoping that it buys enough time. Alright, cool. Your assignments are as follows. Tau 5 will take point, Apollo 3 will take the right and left flanks, and Zeta 9 will take up the rear. The healthy survivors will stay near the back, and those with more serious injuries will be near the front, uh, near Tau 5. In the event that we are flanked or assaulted, fo follow typical multi-force defensive assignments, while allowing Tau 5 to intercept the higher threats. Maintain clear lines of communication. Tau 5 and the task force captains have channel priority. Keep chatter to a minimum, and you will have plenty of time to speak once we reach the surface. Our priority now is extracting these people and staying alive, unless you're in Samsara, in which case I guess you guys are free to do what you want. For the rest of us mortals, it doesn't help us to let the Power Rangers get mulched, so that we're likely shit out of luck if they go belly up. Agreed. Does everyone understand our mission? All Task Force members are in agreement. We. Acceptable. <laughs> we. Uh, acceptable. I will take point. We need to move quickly. Gather your things, prepare the civilians, and we're gonna leave shortly. The teams break up to assemble in their formation. Civilian survivors are briefed on the mission plan and positioned in the middle of the block. Captain, at the main door. There are leeches coming under the door. Shit. Around two, we need to roll. Agreed. Let's move out. Munro, Nanku, collapse the main door. We're gonna ex expedi expedientially out to the side. Gladly. The block moves out of the side door towards a side hallway. T5, Nanku, and Munro hang back to set explosive charges around the doorframe. Leeches are beginning to work their way under the doorframe and through the cracks in the walls. As they step away from the door, Nanku opens their flamethrowers on the leeches. I cannot say that you are making a difference, Nanku. There are likely many more leeches elsewhere. This is very satisfying to me. He continues to burn leeches coming through the walls. It is delicious. Every Munro team and fortress, too. <laughs> Munro and Nanku move quickly to join the rest of the group, which has begun moving down the side hallway. As they pass through the first door, there is an explosion. The building around them shakes. From beneath the group, a loud, uncanny screaming sound is heard. Think they know we're moving? Undoubtedly. The group continues down a series of hallways towards a stairwell, stopping occasionally to check for hostile entities. After a short time, T5 Munro calls a halt. My optics are pinging. Strange. Move everyone back. I'm gonna scout ahead. T5 Munro uh, comes around the corner of the hallway, weapon drawn. His scramble optical implant highlights a dangerous meme on the wall. At the far end of the hallway, his vaguely humanoid entity, the same entity as seen during a previous remote drone exploration of 1730, is seen drawing on a wall with a long, curved finger. Munro projects an image of the entity to Nanku, who rounds the corner behind Munro. Hold. Suddenly, the entity turns towards Munro and Nanku and opens a single white eye, which is immediately processed and blocked by the scramble units. The entity begins to move very quickly down the hallway, changing dramatically as it moves. The entity becomes considerably larger, and its long robe flares out to either side, exposing additional hazards that are blocked by the scramble units. Munro and Nanku raise their weapons and fire. The creature reels backward that is struck by bullets, with large holes opening across his flesh. Munro re reloads, loading incendiary rounds, and fires again, setting the creature on fire. As it staggers backwards, the entity begins to scratch madly against the wall to the right, seemingly attempting to dig through the wall away to get away from the gunfire. Nanku takes one more shot, jerking the entity inside and causing it to collapse onto the ground. Is everything alright? It appears so. We Suddenly the hallway shakes violently. 
The floor beneath the collapsed humanoid entity crumbles and falls away, revealing a large hole beneath the floor. Within the hole is a long, slick black creature covered in blood-red eyes with a mouthful of many rows of long, sharp teeth. As it bursts through the floor, a cascade of small leeches are propelled into the hallway. The humanoid entity slips through the destroyed floor and falls into the mouth of the large creature, which lets out a loud scream as it devours the energy. Long, wet appendages snake into the hallway as Nanku and Munru begin to retreat. Nanku opens her flamethrower again, warning off the approaching smaller leech. What's going on? We will need to find a different route. Quickly. Follow me. The group moves past the collapsed hallway as Munru and Nanku provide cover fire. They pass through a custodial dormitory and exit into a maintenance area behind it. Over there. You can take this path towards the machine. We're right behind you. But I'm beginning to think that this creature is far larger than we anticipated. Gunfire. Henri, take the point. We'll move now. The team moves down the long maintenance hallway. The hallway curves to the left, opening out into a large space full of loading equipment and machines. Several large loading docks are visible in the back of the room, though each one is collapsed and destroyed. Narantu, the walls in here are seeping. We can't stay long. One moment. Munru, Nanku, how far back are you? There's silence. Munru, Nanku, please report. Arantu, Nanku is damaged. We're not going to be able to. Gunfire. Rendezvous with you immediately. Anru, do keep us updated on your position, and I will let you know when we can regroup. Understood. The group moves to the far end of the maintenance warehouse, exiting through a pair of doors leading into a staff break room. Black fluid seeps through the walls. The group has to stop briefly to bandage up the survivor, whose wound has begun bleeding again. A, long, a loud screeching sound is heard nearby, and the group, begin, the group begins moving again. They enter into another hallway leading into the direction of the pressure wing. As they move through the hall, Anru hears a distinct sound. Arantu, wings. How many? Many. More than I can count. They're very small, but there's a great multitude of them. You got anything useful? <laughs> you got anything else useful, Power Girl? You don't talk for like five minutes, and then once you do, it just doesn't work. <laughs> I was hyping myself up. I had to assemble my two brain cells <laughs> so they could rub together and create a thought. Okay. A tinkling sound. Like crystal and crystal. Fuck. Crystal butterflies. Has to be that. We'll get shredded. Unlikely. <laughs> what kind of response is that? He just says, no. All right. No, you group. are dumb and I am smart. That's that's like the, the thing you see online where the person responds with no and then the heart. Just, we'll get shredded. No. Uh, the group moves You're towards the sound. <laughs> yeah, uh, the group moves towards the sound, which continues to grow louder until it becomes a cacophonous sound that seems to be right above them. God, where's that coming from? Steady now, step. Arantu, the vent. In front of them, a grate in the ceiling fan falls to the floor, and a cloud of sparkling crystal butterflies begins to fill the hallway. Arantu sees the butterflies and turns back to the group. Every day, <laughs> everybody down, please. As the group drops to the ground, Arantu runs towards the cloud of butterflies. He disappears briefly. After a short moment, there is a burst of flame that arcs up towards into the vent, and the sound of the shattering crystal can be heard above them. As the smoke clears, Arantu becomes visible again. The majority of his flesh has been shredded by the wings of the butterfly, and his entire body is scorched. Significant amounts of flesh hang loose from his body. The skin on his back is blackened and blistered, and a thick metal implement is now visible through the scored flesh. Anru stands and approaches him. Are you able to continue? Of course. Jesus fucking Christ, man, are you alright? Yes, why would I not be? The group moves towards another hall, seeping with black fluid. <laughs> and then another, but the third hallway is clean and relatively untouched. They ascend a short staircase before coming to a stop before a thick vault door. The machine is behind this door. I came out this way, but the door sealed behind me. I don't know how to unlock it. Dr. Scott, do you know how to open this door? You can do that one. No, I never had access to this chamber. I was hoping Munro would be here. I did not think I could open this door. Suddenly, there is a resounding click, and the door in front of them slowly opens. The monitor next to the door illuminates, and a dark room is visible on it. In the back of the room, hidden in shadows, an indistinct humanoid entity waves. A harsh, electronic static sound, vaguely reminiscent of laughter, can be heard through an unseen loudspeaker. The screen powers off. That's a pretty fucked up clown. <laughs> I figured it was probably going to be him. Hmm. Jesus. What was his name? It was like, it was, it was a B, right? It was like... It's, I don't want to say Bubbles, but I know that's not right. It might be Bubbles. I don't remember which one it was, though. That's the issue. I was, I'm going to go look. I'll find it. Okay. I think it was Slug. I'll just keep it. It was... It, maybe, I don't know. It started with a B, I think. Um. Anyways, yeah. Uh, it's a pretty fucked up clown. Come. All right. The group enters the chamber beyond. The room is very dark, with a multitude of dim green lights visible on the walls of the room. Based on the luminescence of the lights and the apparent distance of 
them from each other, the room appears to be several hundred meters and hundred meters in diameter. Near the back of the room, a tower of circling green lights visible. Are you still looking in there, or do you want to... I am looking for the clown's name. Okay, so I will... <laughs> I'll read. No, I time. am looking for the clown. I'm almost there. Nope. It was Bobble, like, Bobble, Bobble. Bobble. Okay, I was close. Okay, now where yeah. were we? So Bobble the clown. Uh, if you, uh, type in command... Green, dim uh, green lights. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're looking at hey power hey rangers. power rangers can you see anything in here you have dark vision or something yeah my visor is shot honor and i were forced to eject our implants after they were damaged by a powerful mimetic entity <sighs> my visor works hang on all right so there's a some kind of machine near the back of the room under those lights i can't really make any of it out from here but it's there i don't see oh shit yeah i do on the ceiling there are a lot of those things what are they i don't remember I honestly don't know. I can't make them out. They're definitely fucking with perception. I don't... I don't think they've seen us. Seriously, though, there might be 500 of these things. That would be more than Honor and I myself can deal with. We need to make a decision. Either attempt to disable the machine without attracting their attention, or find a way to dispatch the creatures. I am, of, of course, I'm... willing to accept this ideas. I mean, we could blow them up. Houston has explosives. That's a lot of them to try and get all at once, though. Hang on. They're feeding on the power from this thing, aren't they? Why don't we try and get the machine to draw a lot of power to some unnecessary system first and shock them, like flexing when a mosquito bites you? Maybe, but it's more likely that suddenly there is a massive disturbance beneath the chamber. To the left of the group, roughly 100 meters away, there's an explosion and the wall, and the wall falls away. From within the wall emerges a long, slick black appendage covered in red eyes. The eyes open simultaneously. Fuck. There's a screeching sound, and from above them, many hundreds of short, imperceptible entities fall from the ceiling. The black entity in the wall begins to lash out at the smaller entities, attempting to pull them in towards the mount that has appeared in the, on its front. The creature flies uh, towards the larger creature and begins to tear it at it with claws, though many are shoveled into the open mouth of the creature. Huh. That works as well. Anru, get to the machine. The rest of you, get back to the hallway. We'll not have much time. The group... Uh, it's a big part. Okay. The group retreats into a hallway outside of the large room. Honor sprints against the chamber as more and more of the small entities fall from the ceiling and attack the black creature. Several of them begin to move towards Anru, only to be dispatched by weapon fire from Arantu. As she reaches the manual control panel of the machine, Anru inputs the information provided to her by members of Dr. Scott's team. Lights around the room illuminate, exposing an enormously, vastly complicated machine uh, that encompasses the entire back wall of the room. More and more of the hostile entities peel off towards Anru who pauses to open fire on those who come too close. From beneath the room, there's another disturbance, and the floor in the middle of the room falls away. Another long, black entity emerges from the hole in the floor, and long tendrils snake out towards Anru. From behind, Arantu comes gunfire, and the entire AP-3 has emerged from the door and begun firing at the entity. The, the creature recoils, black fluid spilling from gunshot wounds. The tendrils whip around towards him, gripping AP-3 Vigo and tossing him to the air. He strikes the wall, and his body falls to the ground the first black entity grabs it with the tendril and pulls it out of the mouth. Suddenly, small back leeches begin to pour from the hole in the floor. Alright, so that guy died. <laughs> so that's cool. Yeah, he is dead. He's just munched on. Uh, suddenly, small Slam. Black... Yeah. Suddenly, small black leeches begin to pour from the hole in the floor and move quickly towards Arantu. Houston and Ohio open fire on the leeches. Ross moves to pull Arantu away from the hole. As he does, he tosses an incendiary grenade into the hole and pulls Arantu to the ground. There's an explosion, and flame erupts around the black entity, who, which rears back and flails before collapsing into the hole. From deep below them, the group can hear a very loud screaming sound, and suddenly the entire room is shaking. The other black entity retracts into its hole, collapsing the wall behind it as it does. The remaining creatures from the ceiling are dispatched by the AP-3 and Z-19s. As they do, and as the room begins to shake more violently, several lights affixed to the machine in the back begin to flash, and then dim, and the sound of something winding down is heard over the gunfire. Fuck. God damn it, Vigo. Fuck. T5 Anru approaches from across the room. The loss of Vigo is disappointing. I'm sorry. We do not have a substantial amount of time to grieve. We must keep moving. Anru, Ross, Houston, Ohalo, and Irantu leave from the chamber. More rumbling is felt beneath them, and occasional loud screeching sounds punctuate the machine noise from the section of the facility. They reach a stairwell, and Houston throws the door open. Whoa. Fuck. What? What is the matter? There's nothing here. This door just opens up into nothing. It's just dark, as far down as I can see. It is likely that disabling the Thresher device has altered our previous escape route. We will need to devise another plan to the surface. Yes, one moment. 
Uh, Munru, where are you? Difficult to say, unfortunately. Have you powered down the machine? We just did. Fine timing, then. We were being pursued by a creature, and then suddenly there was a wall where the creature had been. The liquid topography appears to have reset itself. Stay in one place. We will come to find you. Our escape begins now. Fantastic. The main group leaves the empty stairwell and turns back to the back down the hallway they came through. Passing through by the thresher access hallway again, they turn and begin to climb another staircase. As they reach the top, Iranti pauses. The hallway in front of them is covered ankle-high in water. As they begin to move slowly through the water, one of the researchers behind them screams. What is it? Bodies. Look. Just below the surface of the water, pale human corpses are visible, appearing to be floating roughly a half a meter down. Do not attempt to look at them. You do not recognize them. Move quickly. Come on. The team hurries from hallway towards another set of the doors at the end, where written on the wall are the words, What happened to Site 13? With the word, What? Covered by the word, Emerson. And the words, Have we become blasphemous beneath that? The group proceeds without incident for a short while longer, slowly ascending as safe routes become available. After, roughly, after roughly eight minutes of travel, the group enters a large mechanical garage where several pieces of large machinery sit in various states of repair. They pause to secure one of the injured survivors while Unruh attempts to devise a new route. Suddenly, a loud banging sound is heard, and a piece of machinery flies across the room, narrowly missing AP3 Ross, who shouts, Whoa! Fuck! What was that? Where did that come from? In the corner of the room, a stack of mechanical parts is seen moving, rising up and self-assembling into a quasi-humanoid entity. Attached to the top of the large mechanical construct is a small, crudely constructed toy robot. The entity begins to move towards them, and a voice is heard from an unknown source within the entity. Ha! I am reborn to breathe devastation upon this fetid earth. Pitiful humans, you will feel the dark sting of my never-ending torment. A small robot on top of the construct is seen waving its arms wildly. That, that is the funniest shit. I this think, little this tiny entire, robot. I, just, I am the reborn. <laughs> I think that's the best voice you could have possibly given it because I'm imagining something about up to my ankle. <laughs> just yeah, like the, no, but you do its little arms like it's that. All, no, it's on top of like a pile of rubble, but just imagine like I uh, like doing <laughs> the thing where the light is flashing in time with the speaking on this tiny robot. Yeah, yeah. This like and then it's just, just it's like a little arm like, up eh, robot. Eh. Oh my god, that's so... And literally, the next line is... Okay, I'll just fucking keep reading. That's so fucking funny. Says, this is annoying. Honor, get these people out. Ross, to me. I am the herald of your destruction. Embrace death. <laughs> uh, T5 Arantu, AP3 Ross, Houston, and Ohio open fire on the entity. To little effect. The entity lifts another large piece of equipment and throws it towards the group, missing them wide. Ohalo throws a fragmented grenade at the entity, which it catches in one of its outstretched hands and grips tightly. The grenade, the grenade explodes, grabbing <laughs> the creature's hand and causing it to stagger sideways. Just grabbed it. How dare you! I will tread upon you like... T5 Onra is seen sprinting towards the entity. As she approaches it, she leaps into the air, sailing over the top of it in a tall arc. As she reaches the top of the arc, she reaches out and grabs a small toy robot on top of the construct, causing it to collapse. As she flips towards the ground, she tosses the robot towards the wall. No! I am the Harbinger! I am- and The toy robot strikes the wall and is shattered. <laughs> oh my god, I love that so fucking much. It's so good. What a guy. Irantu, is that you? Yeah, what an absolute boy. <laughs> lad. What an absolute lad. Irantu, is that uh, you? We just heard something crashing. You must be near. Stay where you are. We are en route. The group moves out of the garage and towards a larger atrium section. From around the corner came T5 Munro and Nanku. Munro appears to have sustained burns to his lower body, but is otherwise undamaged. Nanku is missing the lower half of her jaw, and black fluid covers the front of her bodysuit. She waves with her remaining hand as the group approaches. You look... well. Admittedly, morale has increased in the group since Nanku found herself unable to talk. T5 Nanku points at Munro with her flamethrower, seemingly forgetting she is missing an arm on that side. Realizing this, she makes an obscene gesture towards Munro with her remaining hand. This is a cute reunion, but let's get back to this shit. How far are we from the entrance? This is the main atrium. If we follow this hallway here, it will lead towards the processing station. And past that, we should find access points to the surface. Exceptional. Let's get the lead out then, and... I think he's, I think it's the saying, let's get the lead out, but that, that works. Uh, from below... Let's that, get the heck out then. That's not... No, that's not what I said. Let's what? get the heck out then, and... No, the, the saying is, let's get I... the lead out. Let's get the li the Liad out. 
and right. from below them there's a very loud crashing sound and more screaming the floor beneath the group begins to buckle fuck run the group flees towards the hallway Munro had identified but are stopped when the floor when the floor there also collapses a plume of smoke interrupts from the destroyed floor and one researcher slips on the collapsing ground and slides into it t5 honor leads the group away from the atrium as the floor there completely collapses around two stops to turn and look down inside the hole beneath the hole is an incredibly large chamber appearing to have been dug through dozens of layers of subterranean floors. Within the chamber are many small lights around the outside, and at the bottom is a, bla- is a massive black mass, with several other large black masses extending from it. As he is pulled away, Hirantu sees red eyes open across the entire mass of the creature, and hears more screaming. The group flees down a side hallway, but are pursued by long black tendrils snaking out of the hole. AP3 Ross and Houston open fire on the tendrils, halting them momentarily, but they are quickly replaced by more. Z9 Moros is seen slipping on a patch of black fluid and falling, before being consumed by the ends of one of the tendrils. There are the sounds of metal crashing and rock and concrete being crushed as the structure around them heaves violently. Black leeches begin to pour out of the walls around them, and Nanku opens her flamethrower at them. They round a corner to find a dead end, and are turning back, and turning back are confronted with another black tendril that has burst through a hole in the wall. Holy fuck, we're trapped. This is it, this is it, holy fuck. Anru, we knew, we needed a way out. I... I am having difficulty. I... Wait, wait, I have an idea. I think I know where we are. I have an idea. Come on, you fuckers. We're not dying here. The group follows Hollis towards the descending stairwell and moves quickly down it. Hollis tosses an incendiary grenade through the towards the encroaching tendrils and slams the door sh- behind her as it explodes. The screams from below them intensify as they descend, and the stairwell begins to shake. Holes in the stairwell open and more open, and more leeches begin to pour out of them. All task force members open fire as long tendrils snake through the hulls as well. Upon reaching a landing, Hollis motions the group into the door. Here, in here, go, go, go. The group enters the hallway and sprints towards the other end. As they do, they pass a sign on the wall that reads, Stairs to Cryonics. Munro notices this as they pass. Captain Hollis, what are you doing? You're going to have to trust me here, Blue Ranger. I've been doing this a long time. Uh, <laughs> okay, I think this will work. The group exits the hallway into a large observation section, passing many large windows with blast protectors down across them. The team stops in front of one window, overlooking a massive chamber lined with huge steel doors. Overhead are the words, Olympia Class Testing Observation. Hollis, what do you have in mind? Call it a hunch. We need to get downstairs. Come on. The group runs towards the stairwell at the end of the room and quickly descends to the main level of the swing. As they exit onto the floor of the Olympia Class containment chamber, the wall behind them begins to buckle, and leeches begin to pour out of it. Pink Ranger, that panel over there. You need to get that door open. What? What? I said open the goddamn door. Hurry. What the fuck are you waiting for? Go! T5 Onru runs towards the control panel near one of the tall steel doors. The wall behind them continues to buckle. Munru, that one. Get that one open, too. Yes, absolutely. T5 Munru attempts to access the door controls. Z9 Hollis turns towards the group. Everyone else, listen to me. You civilians need to get to the far end of this room, as far as it goes. Just keep running. There's an access point to the power station above this part of the facility. You need to just keep climbing until you get there. Once you're there, you need to blow a wall. That'll get you out. But you need to hurry. Shit is about to pop off in a pretty major way down here. Ross, you and your boys just fire at anything that comes out of the wall. I'll tell you when we can go. Aranta, you stay with me. This is going to get pretty messy. Understood. Alright. Fucking go. Come on. The group flees down the main pathway towards uh, through the chamber, away from the buckling wall. Behind them, the wall finally gives way, and a gargantuan black, slimy entity pours into the chamber. It is, as, it is at, at least 200 meters in height, covered in black tendrils and dark red eyes. When it sees the group, it opens a massive mouthful of rows of long, yellow teeth. In the center of a mouth, a naked human woman is visibly conjoined in some way to a sort of prehensile tongue with the creature. As it opens its mouth, it lets out a piercing scream and begins to move towards the group. Every available task force member open fires on the creature, emptying their remaining magazines and throwing every possible incendiary weapon towards it. The creature is deterred slightly, but for every place it is pierced by weapons fire, by weapons fire, black fluid and more black leeches begin to pour from its body. Several long tendrils begin to snake towards the group of task force members. I have it. I have it, Captain Hollis. That's you. Come on then, girl. Throw the fucking thing. T5 Unruh steps away from the control panel and runs back towards the group in the middle of the chamber, as a loud groaning is heard behind her. The rest of the team sees the huge rental doors begin to slide open. A thick cloud of ice-cold fog rolls, rolls out of the chamber, obscuring the interior uh, from view. What's in there? Munro, you got yours? Hang on. Yeah, I think that will do.
Suddenly, the door behind Munro begins to glow bright red, then white, and then the center of it buckles and the door collapses. As Munro hurries away, a colossal, motionless, flaming human entity floats out of the chamber. In its unmoving hands is a huge sword. As it exits the collapsed doorway, enormous flaming wings unfurl from its back. The black creature screams, and its tendril begins, and its tendril to begin to lash at this creature. As the tendrils come close, long streaks of fire erupt from the sword towards them, rupturing them and sending black fluid and scorched leeches flying across the room. The blast of black creature screams, and dozens of other tendrils fly towards the flaming humanoid. As the two engage, there is another sound, like a long whining, and then there's, and then suddenly the room is silent. Ooh, excuse me. From within the cold, foggy room, a towering, vaguely surveying creature steps out into the main chamber. It's composed of a body covered in light green and cream-colored hair, a long, thin neck ending in hairless, somewhat humanoid face, and vast, intertwined white and black antlers that pulse with streaks of blue light. Floating above its head are the nine, nine concentric rings of glowing, rotating crystals and metallic spheres. The creature slowly steps out of the containment cell and turns to look at the team on the ground below. It opens its mouth and a long, droning sound is heard throughout the room. Around its body, several large, metallic, cylindrical structures appear, followed by a distinct cracking sound. It begins to step towards the team of task force, task force members, but is struck from behind by three black tendrils that wrap around its neck. The creature lets out another drone, and suddenly the sound returns to the chamber as long streaks of fire arc, arc across the space. The cylindrical constructs, constructs turn lengthwise and speed across the room towards the black creature, striking it into the central mass. From all around the servine entity, more and more metallic spheres appear and fly towards both the black creature and the flaming humanoid, which in turn begins to attack each other. Fucking yes! Go get him, big guy! So it turns to the team. Time to fucking go, kids. Let's go! The team begins to sprint after the group of civilians towards the far wall, far wall as jets of fire strike the ground around them. T5 Nanku catches the end of the dismembered black tendril in her shoulder, throwing her off balance. She falls to the ground, firing openly with her weapon as she is engulfed in fire. AP3 Houston brief pauses briefly to turn towards her, but is grabbed by Arantu. We do not have time. As they, near, as they near the group of survivors, all of whom are huddled near and an exit door at the end of the chamber, there's a crashing sound, and they turn to see the servine entity standing up from where it had been thrown across the room. The black creature whips out it as more metallic spheres appear and arc back towards it. There's an eruption of fire as the flaming humanoid is struck by another several tendrils, which try to pull the humanoid towards the mouth of the black entity. The team reaches the survivors and quickly exits through the door. The group begins to quickly ascend the staircase with them. Alright, just like I said, up. We need to go up. Over. A long, thin, metallic cylinder crashes through the wall of the stairwell, narrowly missing one of the new researchers and Dr. Scott. A, a second cil cylinder comes through the wall, striking around to and obliterating him as it contacts the walls behind him. As the group <laughs> there he goes! Yeah. <laughs> he is gone! Man got yeeted. He has as been erased. <laughs> specifically obliterated. <laughs> Yeah. As the group continues to ascend, fire fills the stairway, stairwell below them, and another long, loud, droning sound can be heard, followed by silence, and then followed by a thick, bursting sound that shakes the entire facility. The group reaches a landing and begins to move towards another staircase at the end of the hallway. Z9 Hall is hanging behind. What are you doing? Giving you more time, and something else, I think. Get these people out of here. Go! I can stay behind, Hollis. Your life is finite. Yeah, yeah, I get the spiel, Power Ranger. But right now, you need to get those people out of here. Let me do my thing, alright? I'll catch up with you later. I understand. Good looking out, Hollis. <laughs> you almost sounded like a person there for a second, Munro. Z9 Hollis runs away from the group. T5 Munro catches up to the rest of the group, who reaches another staircase and begins to ascend. For the next ten minutes, the group continues to ascend throughout the facility, several times narrowly avoiding debris and falling rubble as the lower levels of the site begin to collapse. The sounds of the entities below continue to be heard and several times the creatures become visible through large cracks in the walls or floors. At one point, AP3 Roth catches sight of the unmoving, flaming humanoid, nearly completely covered in metal, as long streaks of fire burst through open seams in, a, in its encasement. Shortly afterwards, there is a two-minute break in all video footage, followed by a shot of the head of the servine creature smashing through a wall in front of the group. As they turn to run away from it, the head turns towards them, and two researchers are instantly transmuted into hexagonal columns of an unknown, yellow-green material. After a short time longer, AP3 Roth picks up the signal from Site, site Command. Team Lead, this is Site Command. Do you read us? Holy fuck, yes. Yeah, I do. Do you hear me? We do. We have You appeared on our geolocating systems. Ross, you're not far from the exit. Where is Captain Hollis and Arantu? Arantu is dead. Hollis, she ran off a while back. We haven't seen her since then. Understood. What about the rest? We've suffered some casualties. Some gunfire. 
Fuck. We lost a few of the civilians and Vigo and a few others. It's really bad in here right now, Command. We're gonna need all the help we can get. We... Lundru, where's Anru? Oh, she, uh, she was behind us. Where is she? Don't worry about that now. We're marking an extraction point in your visor. The extraction team is waiting for you there. We're going to get you all out. The group hurries towards the extraction point as the site continues to collapse around them. Above-ground aerial surveillance captures footage of large sections of the site sliding into the ground and smoke beginning to billow from the power station and nearby mechanical facilities. Deaths of flame become visible as the, as the earth beneath SCP-1730 begins to give way. Mumble Task Force Alpha-20, Holy Divers, enters the site near the crumbling power station. A group of survivors comes into view and are immediately moved towards the access point and then away from the site by members of MTF-A-20. As the rest of the task force members are pulled away from the site, a separate transmission reaches site command originates from T5 Anru. T5 Anru and Z9 Hollis are standing in front of the Thresher device, which roars with activity behind them. They are firing their weapons at an encroaching black mass in front of them, which is punctured by streaks of fire. In the background, the servine entity can be seen tearing through black tendrils with his antlers, as long rods of flaming metal streak across the room towards the black entity. Hollis turns towards the camera and is visibly laughing, firing her weapon openly. She has removed her helmet. The humming of the machine behind them grows noticeably louder, eventually overtaking all other sounds in the room. Streaking of electricity arc across the ceiling above them. She smiles and turns towards Anru, who looks down to find her torso has been destroyed by a jet of flame. As Anru slumps to the side, the last shot is of Xena and Alice, laughing hysterically and wildly firing her weapon as the enormous machine behind her begins to glow bright white. There is a flash, and the transmission ends. Outside, as MTF-820 continues to move 1730 researching the personnel for safety, there is a deafening crackling sound. A loud hum fills the air. The area around the site begins to visibly distort, as if being seen through water, and suddenly SCP-1730 is gone. In its place is an immense crater, over one kilometer in diameter. No other transmissions are received from within the site. No other anomalous activity is, is detected. End log. Note, in the wake of the events detailed in this log, 1730 has been reclassified as neutralized. Further investigation is ongoing. Debriefing reports will become available as soon as they are de declassified. Good lord. They activated it again. They sent it somewhere else. <laughs> it's no longer their problem. <laughs> um, and oh then we have the debriefing reports, which I think actually happened before they did it. I thought it was like interviewing the people who left. I don't know. Um, but before then... Just gonna do the normal uh, sellout stuff. We have a Twitter account. Please follow us there. We, I swear I'm going to use it to announce things, like when episodes <laughs> go up. Actually, I'm gonna do that, actually. Um, I'll try and remember. <laughs> I'm gonna schedule tweets at the same time as episodes. Um, so I can actually... So you guys can know when episodes go up. Um, and it's also <laughs> good to use for any, like, if we miss something, it's gonna be announced there. That kind of thing. Any events, that sort of thing, is all gonna be on the Twitter. Um, there's a Discord, link is on the Twitter, and also just keep telling people. I'm glad that we were able to keep, I think it's about half of our audience we've regained, yeah. which is pretty good, um, for that size of a hiatus. So just keep telling people. I might tr try and do some promotion, I don't know, but it's, perhaps <laughs> it's really cool to see that there's actually people still listening to this. Yeah. Alright, and also ad, I'm going to slam an advertisement while you go tell... Listen to this ad while telling your friends uh, to listen to the thing. Us. <laughs> okay, advertisement has been done. Alright, uh... Extraction so, mission debriefing report. Um, yeah, we're just going to speed through this little addendum 10. Uh, addendum not... 10, this, this seven file addendum. <laughs> we'll speed through it. You want to right. start with the first one since I read like half yeah. of nine. Mission debrief interview. Data is blanked out. Interviewee Captain Ephraim Ross. Most Captain Ross. A it's A3's team lead Ross. Interviewer Doctor Peter Vincent. Mission debrief the extraction of SE of seventy three. Note the following is an audio transcript excerpt of an interview conducted by Provisional Site twenty three personnel regarding seventeen thirty. The information contained in this file is unconfirmed and under further review. For the full file, please contact the Information and Records Administrator at Site-13. Please state your name for the transcript. Captain Ephraim Ross, Mobile Task Force Apollo 3, Game Wardens. Thank you, Captain Ross. Alright, let's see. Your team was directed to infiltrate 1730 and search for the source of the radio signal we were receiving. Is that correct? It is. Tell me about your initial incursion. You listened to the logs? I haven't myself, no. They're still being processed. It wasn't good in there. Best I can tell, wherever Site-13 came from, they were using it as a sort of 
end-of-the-line processing facility. Every so often we see placards up on these containment cells about how certain things were due for termination. Judging by what the Samsara team saw, that was about the case. They were bringing in anomalies, doing some invasive investigations to them, and then destroying them. What sort of anomalies were being housed there? Could you tell? I mean, shit. It was really hard to tell. Somewhere along the line, the power had gone out and had gone all Jurassic Park in there. Of just what we encountered, there was some kind of encroaching blackness that fucked up Houston's legs and... Have you seen Houston? Is he alright? He's being looked at by medical right now. They're going to bring him over here soon. I think he's probably alright. That's good. I mean, but other than that, there's also this thing. I don't know if it was a person or not, but it sort of bent space around it and Noah... It's okay, we can... No, this needs to be done. We took some losses on all the teams. It was bad. Based on what we saw in the end, it could have gotten a lot worse, too. At the end? You didn't see it? No, you haven't seen the video. They had these cells down below the site. They must have been the size of a football stadium each. Hollis had them open a few up so we could make our retreat and the things inside. One of them looked at me like I might look at an ant. It was a god, and they had them in boxes. I counted 20 of those cells, but that chamber went on a lot further past than I could see. What were they keeping in those? How were they keeping them in there? End log. Next one is uh, interview two. Uh, the interviewee is uh, Agent Ohalo. Uh, interviewer once again, Dr. Vincent. Um, <clears throat> begin log. All right, if you could please state your name for the official transcript. Silence. Agent Ohalo? Wait. Silence. Is there something? We should have died in there. This isn't real. This isn't real. We were supposed to die in there. Agent, we really have to file this report. If you could just cooperate with me for a moment so I could get your official testimony. There's counselors on site who you can speak to afterwards. More silence. Ohalo? Silence. That's the end of the log. Now, hold on a moment. Um, I think I know why he's freaking out, because if I go up to another log, just a moment. Just for a moment. Just for a, a, a un secondo. Give me a minute. <laughs> Just play the uh, Jeopardy. <laughs> what what specifically are you looking for? I think a hollow died in there. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did too. And they're interviewing him after the fact. Let's. Uh, let's not worry Did he that. die? I'm checking well, the I mean, he extraction said, log. He, he literally said oh, no, he should have died there. No, he's in the extraction log. He just never talked. Okay. Okay, so he didn't die in there. But the next one is an interview of Arantu. Okay. Conducted by a member of the... Interviewer Dr. Isha St. Clair. The following is an audio trans... Oh, because aren't they like immortal or something? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The they following like is an audio. He just got obliterated, but it's okay. <laughs> the following is an audio transcript interview of an interview conducted by a member of the. So it's cool. State your name for the record, please. I am Arantu, lead of Mobile Task Force Tau Five Samsara. In your own words, please describe the events that took place while you were within seventeen thirty. Of course, the Tau Five team inserted into seventeen thirty and began to move towards the source of the broadcast. Honor was able to track the location of the survivors and plotted a course towards them that would expose us to the fewest spatial hazards possible. Several times our course had to be adjusted due to unforeseen obstacles, but nothing that we were not able to overcome. Shortly after rendezvous with Captain Hollis and the survivors, our extraction efforts led us through the section of the facility containing the Thresher Machine, which we believe is what resulted in seventeen thirty's existence within our universe. Shortly after, during our retreat, I was terminated. I see. As for Agents Moros, Vigo, and the others, they were also terminated. Terminated. Expired. Succumbed to their injuries. I know what it means, Arantu. I just... I can't help feel as if you feel good about this. I feel neither good nor bad, only satisfied at the outcome. What? Our extraction mission was a success. With minimal loss of life, our team was able to infiltrate an extremely hazardous and volatile spatial anomaly and extract several high-value persons of interest. I do not know what else you would like me to say. We were exposed to a number of dangerous anomalies and were able to successfully carry out our mission. There were regrettable losses of capable and experienced personnel, but not outside our margin of error. On the contrary, our team performed better than the, our preliminary models predicted. I see. Thank you, Arantu. I'll be sure to include your remarks in the report. You're welcome. 
As is required by the Cooperative Mission Protocol, I would like the opportunity to debrief with Captain Zeta-9 and Captain Hollis. Captain Hollis was killed with an S-1730. Arantu? Regrettable. Captain Hollis expressed great resilience in the face of near-certain failure. As protocol dictates, I will file my report instead with Captain Hollis' assigned site administrator's office. Thank you for your time, Doctor. He just... They oh. aren't <laughs> people. They're just... They're robot people. Yeah. The next one is uh, the medical examination interview. This is with uh, Agent Houston of Apollo. Uh, the interview is Dr. Ian Harris. Um, once again, just audio transcript. Game log. All right. Uh, first off, I need your name for our logs. Sure. I'm Cotter Houston, member of the Apollo 3 team. Good, good. Now, Agent Houston, describe to me your affliction here as much as you can. Well, I'm sure it's pretty clear, but I don't seem to have uh, shins anymore. There's a there's a line where that thing covered them up came to, and you can sort of sort of see the inside of the leg there, like it's been replaced with with a flat piece of glass or something. But I can still you know I can still walk. It doesn't really feel like I'm missing anything down there. It just looks like it. And you can yeah you can sort of run your hand through there where they should be obviously because they're not there. But but I don't feel that either. So yeah, I see. Uh, what can you tell me about this material that you said you stepped in? Fell in, actually. Or rather, I tripped, and it sort of just kept coming. It was shit. We opened a door, and it looked like there wasn't anything on the other side of it. Then it started to, like, it started to rise through the door and then up the stairwell. You ever play video games? It was like some sort of graphical glitch. It wasn't rising fast or anything, just steady. We eventually got to a door, but that was after I fell, and then this. Can you tell me anything about the initial situation? Sensation? Initial sensation? Did it hurt? Oh, uh, no. No, I mean, I didn't realize what was happening at first. Everybody else was panicking, and then I looked down and saw they were gone, and I started panicking, but... I mean, obviously I was alright. It never hurt. No, it just feels normal. Well, not normal. It's obviously weird. My legs are missing, and I think I might be in shock, but... Every now and then I can sort of feel something. Sort of brush past them. Brush past them? Yeah, I mean the parts that are missing down there. I thought I was imagining it at first, but like guys who have phantom pain, but it's, I mean, I can actually feel my legs, so I don't think it's that. Like there's some, some sort of furry and kind of wet that just barely brushes past them. Who knows? So, that's, that can be supposed to be creepy, but I like to think it's Josie's other half. Josie's <laughs> a half cat. Yeah. It's oh, just that... wet because of the liquid. That's, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Josie. That... That one baby. Cat. That's cute. Yeah, I can. I I like that. I like that All right. as well. Interviewee Munro. Uh, interviewer, another mobile task force guy. When did you lose track of Captain Hollis? In the chaos of our retreat, Captain Hollis was separated from us. I do not know when. Munro, your camera was undamaged. We you know we know you spoke to her before she left. Damn. I'm not very good at that. Why didn't you keep her from leaving your group? I only knew Captain Hollis for a handful of hours, but in that time she proved to be an experienced and capable agent. I assumed any decision she would make in regards to her own personal behavior would be made with her experiences and training in mind, both of which exceeded my own. Additionally, she outranked me. Your mission parameters forbade you from allowing other team members from putting themselves in harm's way and required that you do everything you could to mitigate loss of life. How do you reconcile your actions with those requirements? Technically speaking, nothing I did allowed Captain Hollis to put herself in any danger. I could not foresee the outcome of her actions and use my best judgment to justify my own. For all I knew, she could have been moving to a safer location. Away from the group? It would be illogical to assume that an agent with her level of experience would purposely endanger themselves in an unpredictable situation. And you believe your justifications are an acceptable interpretation of your mission calls? Of course. Very well. When you return to holding, you'll be meeting with Arantu to discuss this. I hope your arguments hold up. As do I. Next one is interview 5. Uh, this is with uh, Anru. On no, wait a minute. Anru was the person in the thing, so that I guess they could just get them back any from anywhere always. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah Even so if teleported is... to other dimension. <laughs> so this is this is with Anru. Um, interviewer is Doctor Darian Arnold. Why did you pursue Captain Hollis? I believe I understood Captain Hollis's intentions before she left the group, based on her discussions with the team leads before we began began our extraction. I fear that she might not have been capable of returning along our previous course with, without my assistance. Your recording equipment went dark for a long period before becoming active again in the Thresher area. What happened during that time? 
That one. Unruh, I'm gonna need an answer. I disabled the equipment. There was... There was a room we passed through that was different than it had been before. It was the server room above the Olympia containment cells. I do not... I did not know how our path ended there. I had not intended it to. It was a mistake. When we entered, it was on the room it had been, but... What do you mean? I'm sorry, it is difficult to describe. When we entered the door, I could see the servers around me, but superimposed over them was... We were standing on a precipice, overlooking an area the size of which I cannot estimate. Below us were humans, screaming, their arms ending at their wrists, crying to the silent sky for restitution, and then the sky burned it. It was like a star had fallen, and I had to look away. Hollis could not. When I turned back, I could see the scorched corpses on the ground. Billions of them, but billions of other living beings who came rushing towards the fallen star with their arms outstretched, and hanging in that star like a twisted marionette was... At Site 13, they called it the Malager Magan? Malager... Yeah, that. In this place, they call it another name. A hateful name. Why did you disable your recording equipment? When I first encountered this entity, it created an anomalous mimetic and cognitive hazards powerful enough to burn the scramble units out of my eyes. I did not know what it would have done to anyone who was not otherwise protected. What did it do to you? It showed us things. Visions. Coils of fire in a sky made light with a storm of souls. A hole at the center of the universe screamed at me. A god of nightmares. Something long and lean. Slowly walking between endless rows and crucifixions. And then, it showed something to Hollis that I did not see. When it did, the runes across it, its head began to burn and pulse, and the man who's trapped there began to blister and fester. When it was done, I saw an ocean behind it, and a blue sky, our sky. It turned towards the ocean and sank into it. When it was gone, the visions faded, and the room was empty. I see. After that, Hollis ran. I followed her. She said nothing until we reached the machine. She told me that she had been there, alone, for some time. She said she knew how to turn it on. She said that she did not know where she would go, but that she needed to take the things she saw and bury them in the darkness. Before she could start the machine, the creatures from the containment cells came into that chamber, and I was terminated. Did Captain Hollis say anything to you before you died? No. He only laughed. And wept. That's the end. End log. Okay, and the last interview is interviewee of Dr. Mohammed Scott, Site 13 Assistant Director of Temporal Studies. Uh, I can do, I can be the director, if you want to be the doctor. Sure. Alright, so I'm Director William Vesterlin Sorensdun, Muhammad Scott. Please state your name for the record. My name is Dr. Muhammad Scott. You seem to be a little out of place, Dr. Scott. <laughs> Only a little. Our two timelines were not so different, I think. Except for one thing. Yes, there is that. Tell me about Site-13. Site 13. Do you want the brief version, or...? As thorough as you can be, please. Very well. Originally, there were plans to build a large containment facility in the American Midwest, but that was before... Well, let me back up. In 1964, the Foundation discovered a massive dead sea creature... Dead sea creature washed up on the shore near the Indian-Bangladeshi border. No facility in the region had the kind of infrastructure it took to hold the body of this entity, let alone study it, so several ships were dispatched and it was dragged through the ocean back towards the United States. Prior to this, the plan was to build Site-19 in the American Midwest, but afterwards it was decided there was no way to conceal a creature of this size and shuttle it across the U.S. mainland. So after some deliberation, the Site-19 plans were scrapped and the focus was given to another facility near Nome, Alaska. That was Site-13. Even in the beginning, it was massive, considerably larger than any other site the Foundation managed, and it quickly became a premier containment facility. It was remote, fortified, and best of all, easily concealed in the snow and ice. After the Soviet Union collapsed in 85, we learned that they didn't even know Site-13 existed, let, no, let alone where it was. I see. When did you join... That's you. Oh. Uh, well, I see. When did you join the Foundation, Dr. Scott? Oh, in 76. I joined straight out of university, recruited by one of the administrators at my school. That was back when we were still independent. I worked at Site-22 in Bermuda. The best job I ever had. <laughs> it was a much different Foundation. Tell me about what happened to the Foundation. Hold on. <sighs> Site 13 was very expensive to operate. There was some financial difficulty. In 1994, a Marxist extremist from the Ukraine detonated a bomb in the basement of the Manchester Financial Tower in Chicago. Uh, the Willis Tower, formerly the Sears Tower. A fire started at the base of the building, and eventually the tower collapsed its base and fell over on its side. Thousands died. The United States government was enraged at the foundation, and it discovered the extremist in question had used an anomaly to enter the basement and get past security. 
thought the billions of dollars that the United States were funneling to the foundation were being wasted. After the 1996 election, President Dole decided to cut all funding for foundation sites in the states. All available funding went to keeping those sites afloat, and with the weight of Site 13, the situation was dire. So, what happened? A compromise. A former Dole staffer named Paul Manafort was appointed as the Secretary General of the Global Occult Coalition and came to us with a solution. We grouped our resources with the coalitions, combining our efforts to protect normalcy under their leadership. We would keep our name on our sites, but our directors would be appointed by the UN Security Council. We would once again receive funding from the United States, as well as that generated from the United Nations, and we would be able to keep the lights on. But... But the Overseer Council refused. They hunkered down at Overwatch Command and refused to bend the knee. Then a few years later, a site in Portland, Oregon collapsed due to crumbling infrastructure and a creature we called the Dream Whale was spotted floating down the California coast. This is in the very early internet days, but that didn't stop film cameras and it was a disaster. The overseers mobilized all our task forces in the area, but we didn't even have enough money for the amnestics. In a day, it would be over San Francisco and that would basically be the end of it. Then we got an internet email that the Overseer Council had been disbanded and the Foundation was now under the operation of the GOC. Secretary General Manafort and the Security Council established a new board of directors overnight, and before the sun rose, the Dream Whale was recontained and every loose end was tied up. Nobody resisted a change in leadership? Why would we? We suddenly had money. We were suddenly no longer having to decide between taking notes on the back of our hands or not taking them at all. Secretary General Manafort installed a new Foundation Administrator, Vice President Jack Kemp, but he was little more than a figurehead. New directors were appointed, most of them from our own site staff, so it looked good, honestly. We were finally able to carry out our mission to the fullest. We had technology, we had personnel, it was wonderful. And then we started to hear about people being reassigned, anomalies being shipped off-site and never returning. We would hear people talk about, oh, so-and-so is in trouble now, they're going to be sent to Site 13. thought most of it was just talk, and then I was reassigned in 2003. What was it like? Cold. Site 13 was immense, and the lights stayed on, but the facility was always cold. They were always working on the site, more and more construction underground, and they kept leaving exterior doors open. At first, it wasn't so bad. I was able to keep doing my research and had more funding than other. Temporal slash spatial studies, you know. The director was then Jack Bright, one of the old doctors from back in the day. Very charismatic. The staff loved him. He had a medallion he wore, some anomaly from the way back that made him immortal. So long as he had it on, he wouldn't age. Anyway, things were great for a few days. Then one day, another popular doctor was found dead in her office, Cynthia Light. The story we all get is Bright had fancied her, but when she found she was with another man, he went and killed her in a fit of passion. Bright is summarily locked up, and Elliot Emerson is installed as director of Site 13. He... What's that? Emerson was on one of Bright's research team when he was assigned to Site 15. He wasn't a popular doctor, but he was a good administrator and made sure the important project stayed afloat during the financial crisis. He was on a short list of people to become the director of Site 13 after reorganization, but Bright got picked over him. Some people said he felt slighted. A lot of people said he framed Bright. I think Manafort didn't like Bright's anti-coalition sentiments, had made out to be some dangerous anomaly that had to be contained, and put Emerson up because nobody would complain about Emerson. He was very middle of the road, didn't stand out much. Elliot ended up doing some terrible things, but I truly believe he was only doing them because Manafort demanded it. What kind of terrible things? I didn't see much until years later, but we always heard about things happening deeper below the site. They were building all of the new containment cells and research facilities, and then they built the incinerator. Originally, it was just made so they could dispose of the body of that sea monster from before, but then they started using it for everything. At first, they were doing some invasive testing on anomalous animals, then on humans. Then the vivisections began. The ethics committee tried to step in, but they were removed. They dragged the old chairman, Jeremiah Samarian, out into the commons at Site 17 and shot him in the head for being a traitor. Peter Grenwald became the new foundation slash GOC ethics head, and of course, all the new tests were approved. I don't know what they were testing for, but... If you were anomalous and you weren't found to have it, you went into the body pit. We keep hearing it's for the greater good, it's for the protection of mankind. What we were supposed to do? Speak out and end up like Samaria? Maybe for a better, braver man. But I knew the work I was doing was good, so I kept my head down and carried on. Then... Well, it sounds silly now. In 2010, we contained God. Not just any God, either. The Abrahamic God. The actual thunder and lightning, Y-H-W-H, fire and brimstone God. I don't know how they managed it. Some technology developed by the Coalition, I'm sure. And that was just the first. They filled Site 13 to the brim with everything they could get their hands on. Well, that is a lot. I guess the only other question that I have immediately is, well, what happened to Site 13? Vera Hadley, doctor of internal medicine from some site in Italy. For a few years, she was the site's chief biologist. 
The Security Council made her the assistant director of anomalous biology at the same time I was promoted to the same position for temporal studies. She and Elliot had been... together, and she pretty much adamantly opposed everything he was making us do. Elliot kept his tail between his legs, but Manafort wouldn't have it. He had her stripped of her position after just three months, and demoted to junior researcher after that. One night, oh, uh, one night after staging some kind of demonstration, some guards showed up and, well, they stripped her naked and inspected her for contraband right in the middle of this main corridor. When they were done and satisfied, they nearly beat her to death and left her there. Myself and a few other doctors took her to the medical center and she recovered, but she never really recovered. Something inside her had died or had been replaced with something else. She did something, hatched some scheme. She sent me an email about it the night before she did it, but I didn't pay any attention. When it happened, when that thing attacked the site, Emerson came and begged me to turn on the thresher. It was supposed to be an absolutely last-ditch effort to protect the world, a wholly untested piece of technology that was just as likely to have burned the world and saved it. An entire existence was the result of a joke, one I might have taken too seriously at the time, but either way. I refused, told him the risk was too great, and that even if it worked, we were just creating a problem for another world, but he was inconsolable. He told me that staying and facing the Secretary General would be a face worse than death. He pulled a gun on me, man, and I'd do it. I fled. Went to gather my team in the hopes we could escape, but before I could even land, leave a lab, it happened. It. Are you alright? Yes. The Thresher was a complicated machine. I guess I should count myself lucky that we survived at Wall, but we may very well have been in that strange space between worlds for a thousand years. When we awoke, we were still in Site 13, but the cells were thrown open and the inmates were loose. If you had not come down for it, we would have died. I'm certain of this. Do you know where Site 13 has gone? There's no way to predict it. Chances are it will be a place like this, but then it may not. It could be any number of strange and unknown worlds. You knew someone who was left within. I do. As do I. We were not the only survivors, though there were not many of us. They, well, they did not fare as well as we did. It is a tragedy, but there is nothing that can be done now. I only hope, maybe, after all this, Emerson has found some peace. He truly was a great doctor, and he was my friend. I, of course. Thank you for your time, Dr. Scott. We'll speak again. End vlog. Wow. Wow. And that's it. <laughs> Good one. I remember this... the first one where we were going to be like, yeah, we can get this out in an episode. Yeah, we can do this, you know. And then we yep. did it, and it's worth it. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was that was what happened to Site, uh, site 13. Yeah. That's so, all we I, got. This episode's a little longer than normal, even. Yeah, I don't know what else to say about that. That was a fucking big one. <laughs> and every... Because this whole thing, I was going through... Like, I, I had read the basics of this, and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. But as we've gone through, I see more and more why people say if there's ever a short film or, like, a professionally done series of some sort, it should be this one. Yeah. That's because like, this is already written in that kind of a structure. Yeah, it's pretty much flushed out as much as it can be. It's, uh, it's very very well done. It's email corridor digital. Say, <laughs> so, hey, I got an idea for you. It would be really intensive and take a long time. And I have no money, but... Here you go. <laughs> Here's an idea. The script is basically written for you. Yeah. So, just, you know, find people for that shit. No, that would actually be cool. Like, if this, if they were It'd able be... to make this and... Yeah, something some like that. Visual thing, that'd be... Because they... Fuck. God, it would be. This is so good. Yeah, man. That was that was a lot. Yeah. What, what I <laughs> like what do you think Bobbles the Clown looks like? <laughs> just like a guy in a clown's outfit. Like <laughs> just like a normal dude. Oh, he's that good. Cuz I I for some reason I was thinking of like uh I forget the guy that played him, but the original version of Pennywise, but like a little Not bit it, it, he kind of looked, for me, I imagine him as, like, a He's... mix between the two Pennywises, but, like, also with, like, purple stuff. Oh, okay. He's I, just, I, like, I a guy in a clown suit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Except, like, also fucking terrifying. Oh, no, he's only terrifying in the way that he, like, acts. The outfit itself has nothing creepy about it, other than just yeah. being a clown. Just the way that he talks and, like, he giggles and... that That one line that he said... Like still kind of like creeps me out. Where I think it was, I think he was talking about Emerson or whatever. But he was like, if you see him, he said, "Fucking rape him to death for me." And I read that, and I was like, "Oh my god!" 
Just from the like Google images is a clown outfit. Um, just, <laughs> it's just they're just like insulting this guy. Um, no, this yeah. was interesting. We're gonna find yeah. another one for next time. Not sure what we're doing, but we'll figure yeah. it out. We'll have to figure it out. So that that's that's the end of this one. Thank you for tuning in for these past couple. Yeah, of genuinely, I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Yeah, and I hope you tell other people this is a, probably a good way to go in. Uh, well, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? Um, I am <laughs> I know. Destroyer I still... of worlds. No, don't throw me against What what was his name? Did he had like a name. It was like an uh, M or something. No. Well, kind of. Let I me scroll so. down. Yeah, let me see. It, it wasn't like a name name, it was mechanical entity. Yeah. What a guy. I am born to breathe devastation upon this fetid earth. Pitiful humans. <laughs> and then the fucking Ronti just this is annoying. I love that. What a guy. What a dude. Best dude. Uh, that's that was that was the highlight of the entire thing. I want a game. little I want a little robot that you can poke and it'll yell at you like How dare you? Well, I, I will was... tread upon you like the fly which you are. I thought it was funny because they first interact he threw something at him and missed. And, missed. and, they were like, and then the second time he missed worse. <laughs> And then he, he got, got thrown against a wall and died. That was the entirety of his character. It's so good. Also, a little small robot on top of the construct is seen waving its arms wildly. I love yeah. this. I love him. Little goo, little dude. All right, this is that's that sums up my experience. Honestly, okay. All right, that's well, all that matters. That's the only thing that matters. That's the reason this article yeah. is so good. The robot, <laughs> just, nothing else. Just the little guy. All right, uh, that's all for this one. We'll catch you guys next time um, yeah. with stuff and things. And we'll yeah, we're, what we're doing. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Um, again, check the Twitter for any important information, updates, that fun stuff. And, Keep. Uh, yeah, and we'll yeah. see. We'll see you all next time. See Good, ya. Good, goodbye. Bye.